Welcome to LifePoint Church. Our mission is to glorify God and make gospel-driven disciples by engaging people in the unexpected joy of a life more and more dependent on Jesus. John chapter 10, verse 6 through 18. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go out and go in and find pasture. The thief only comes to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd, for the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as my Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down and to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. I have a question for you. If you had to describe your life at Christmas time in just one word, what word would you use? You only get one, one adjective describes your life at Christmas. It's kind of a hard question. Maybe you're struggling to think about it. Let me help you. Uh, imagine if you could participate in a exercise like Ebenezer Scrooge. You know, uh, Christmas Carol, Charles Dickens. Scrooge had a unique opportunity. He had these ghosts visit him, the coast of pr- Christmas past, present, and yet to come. And over three nights, he got to see his life like an NFL slow motion replay. He had perspective. And he could answer that question maybe a little bit more easily. How would you describe your life around Christmas time in just one word? We all know what Scrooge's word would be, right? Humbug! But maybe for you, Christmas time is more positive. Maybe Christmas time, some words about your life might come to mind like grateful, maybe nostalgic, hopeful. Maybe a word for you is busy. It's coming real fast. (laughs) Anxious. Lonely. One word, your life at Christmas. 
Did anybody choose the word abundant? One way to preach about Christmas is to marvel at how Jesus came. And these are classics. We should preach these, and you're going to hear about them. How Jesus came. You look at Luke 2, and you go to the manger scene, and the shepherds, and the wise men. You could see how Jesus came way back in the prophecies, how he was predicted to come. You could go to Isaiah 9, 6, and that's a beautiful promise about him coming. Another way to preach about Christmas isn't examining how he came, but why he came. That's another way to preach. And there's lots of reasons why he came. I'll give you a few examples, and these aren't your classic Christmas texts, but they're true. Romans 15, 8, Jesus came to confirm God's promises. Or Luke 4, 43, Jesus himself says, for this purpose I came, as in I was born, to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. And one other place that we'll explore today comes in John 10, 10. We see a reason why Jesus came. He says it explicitly in verse 10, and and see it in your Bibles with me. I'm not making it up. Verse 10, chapter 10. He says this, I came, that is, I left my throne. I was born in a manger. I became human. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus came so that LifePoint Church could answer the question, what's one word to describe your life at Christmas? So that your word would be abundant. That's why he came. And my aim this morning, as we sort of transition from from one series to another, as we prepare our hearts for Christmas, is I want to help you maximize your joy in Jesus as you prepare for Christmas. And I want to do that by looking at one, just one, of the glorious reasons that Jesus came at Christmas time. That's my aim. So what exactly is this abundant life? Why didn't most of you say that's your life right now at Christmas? And how can we have it? What is it? Why don't you have it? And how can we have it? First, what is this abundant life? Look at the scriptures with me. John 10, verse 10. Jesus, speaking to some Pharisees, says this. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. That word abundantly, if you looked up your Greek lexicon and tried to discover what that means, some, some synonyms flow out like this. Abundant life could also be described as overflowing, excessive, maxed out, more than you could expect. The, the same Greek word is used in another place, in Ephesians 3.20. He says this, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly, same root word with a little Greek prefix of hyper in front of it, extra, super, maxed out, abundant, beyond, more than you could ask or think. 
What is this then beyond life that Jesus came to offer? We get some clues within his parable, and there's at least two things that this life includes explicitly in the parable, and then a third that you can get in John 17. Three things. What is the abundant life? First, Jesus offers a life with protection. Protection. See it in in verse nine with me, just one verse earlier. He says this, I am the door or the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Salvation, protection, safety. Remember, Jesus is speaking in a parable and the Pharisees who are blind are continuing to be blind. And those with faith will see, they'll have eyes to see. Okay, Jesus, what are you saying? What are you communicating in this parable, this story, this metaphor? And it's a parable of sheep and shepherds. It's actually pretty familiar to us. We had some sheep and shepherds in a manger scene, real life baby, just this past Wednesday. This is the picture that Jesus has, and it would have been a familiar picture in the ancient Near East. And those original listeners would have immediately pictured a courtyard, a a sheep pen. In the ancient Near East, that was either connected to a home on the front, this kind of low stone wall that was in the courtyard, or more likely, it was a shared sheep pen out in the country that multiple families contributed their flocks into this sheep pen and then hired a shepherd for protection over their collective sheep. And this pen, by design, would only have one entrance, in and out the same door, to minimize the chances of something bad getting in and destroying the flock. And Jesus is saying, in this picture, this metaphor, a parable, he's saying, I'm that door. One entrance in, one entrance out, and I serve this great purpose as a door. I save the sheep. I protect them. In me, you find safety. And of course, as a parable and a metaphor, Jesus speaks about eternal salvation. That's what he's offering. Protection, covering of your sin, protection from the wrath of God that you would be redeemed and considered righteous according to Christ, that you would be utterly safe. And and not just safe tomorrow, but don't you see that having eternal security, knowing to the core of your core that I am safe, changes how you experience life today, doesn't it? That's a different kind of living. That's the kind of living that I can trust a promise right before I preach in Isaiah 41.10. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, Zach, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand because I'm safe. I have nothing to fear. That changes how I live today. This is a piece, one piece, an aspect of what it means to have an abundant life. Can you say without a shadow of a doubt, I am secure this Christmas? That's part of an abundant life. But there's more. 
He continues in verse nine, do you see it? Not just salvation and protection. He's the door that provides the way for the sheep to go in and out and find pasture. Pasture, the the picture for sheep like me and you is a picture of a gate that gets open when the sunny skies are shining and the grass is lush and green and the shepherd leads them out where they can have food, provision, fresh air, pastures and hills to roam and explore. This is the picture of not just protection, but provision. It's the abundant life. That sounds great. Now before you think you've got a health and wealth prosperity gospel preacher, and you start thinking that the abundant life right now is purely material blessings, like Jesus is your genie in a bottle or your vending machine to give you whatever your heart desires, remember this, Jesus himself lived an abundant life. He lived an abundant life, and yet, Matthew 8, 20, foxes have holes. The Son of Man doesn't have anywhere to lay his head. Jesus didn't have a timeshare in Aspen. And what's worse, he lived a life, an abundant life, that included suffering. But the bad news there is not just Jesus experienced suffering so that we could have a life without suffering. No, he promised that we would. John 16, 33. In this world, sheep, you will, not maybe, you will have tribulation. But, but take heart, I've overcome the world. You see, he didn't just come at Christmas time for you to have provision to be a content, fat, comfortable sheep, everything that you wanted. Part of the provision that God provides in this abundant life isn't the stuff that we get from him, but that we get him. We get him. That's the provision. The good isn't the stuff, the greatest good is that the sheep have a shepherd who knows them by name. The sheep have communion with a good shepherd. And that's why Jesus continues just a couple chapters later. We're in in chapter 10, by chapter 17, Jesus says this in John 17, three. And this is life. This is eternal life, and he's gonna describe it. That they, the sheep, know you the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you sent. That's the good of the provision, that you would know God. It would be one thing to know the mayor of the city of Fort Collins. If you got a parking ticket, that would come in handy. You could know him. It'd be another thing to know the president of the United States, the most powerful country in the world. Wouldn't that be nice? It'd be another thing to know Taylor Swift, because you could get some tickets to a Kansas City Chief game. Can you imagine if you knew her? Do you see what's being offered? You can know God. 
Oh, that's far better. The creator of the universe invites you to know him, not know about him, not study him like, a, like biology, to know him. Oh, I know him intimately, closely, and he knows me. This is the good. This is the good. Look, what I'm saying is it's not just protection that he's offering. It's not just provision. He's offering purpose. Purpose. It's in the very next verse. John 17, 3 is to know him, and John 17, 4 is the purpose. Jesus says, I have glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And that works not just for Jesus, it's for us too, Ephesians 2.10. You were created in Christ Jesus for good works, prepared for you ahead of time. You're not just lazy Netflix watching sheep. As if that were the abundant life. I don't want that. That gets old. I want more. There has got to be more than Netflix. There's gotta be. And this is what the Savior comes to say. He says, I have come that you wouldn't have Netflix life. I've come that you might have abundant life. I've got a glorious purpose for you. And you're not just a sheep to sit around. I, come partner with me. Come be a part of my glorious work of redeeming the world, of magnifying the glory of my Father, of delighting in me, and then displaying that delight. Go in public and saying, isn't he wonderful? Talk to another sheep about this shepherd. Can you believe what he did for me yesterday? This shepherd's just keep, he just keeps getting better. That's abundant life, protection, provision, and purpose. The Westminster Shorter Catechism summarizes it well. He says, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever, know him, to know him, and to magnify him. One word, your life, Christmas time. Past, present, future. Is it abundant? Is that your word? If Jesus promised an abundant life for his sheep, that's any Christians here in the room, why didn't we unanimously at the same time? Why didn't you bump the person next to you when I said, what's your word to describe Christmas? And you're like, Abundant, of course, yeah. We were all going to say that. Why didn't we do that? He, I didn't say it, I'm not making this up. He said it. I came that you might have abundant life, why don't you? I wanna know, don't you? There's some problems. Notice I was only reading the second half of verse 10, but there's a first half. Jesus did come that you might have life and have it abundantly, but the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Now here's some exegesis work here. We're gonna understand scripture. You, you helicopter into that verse out of nowhere because it's your favorite Christmas mug verse, and you might get the wrong answer. 
Because I, I read that, and I'm like, it's Satan. That's the devil. He's the one that's stealing all my hope. And, and you could get there understandably. There's other scriptures that describe the devil as a, a, a roaring lion who prowls around trying to kill you. That's not the context here. That can't be. It's not what Jesus is describing. Remember, he's talking to religious leaders. He's talking to Pharisees. In the previous section, he gives this parable to tell a contrast. Bad leaders and good leaders. He's contrasting himself with the Pharisees. So when he says the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, the primary context here are the religious leaders. That's interesting. The religious leader. I am a religious leader. They come to steal, kill, and destroy? How? Jesus, kind of harsh, right? Here's what Jesus was saying. These Pharisees, religious leaders, are offering and advertising a path to abundant life that is the wrong path that actually only leads to death. That's what Jesus is saying. Let, let me illustrate. These Pharisees, they were religious leaders that were stealing from the flock. They were showing themselves to be good and godly people, but in reality, they were exploiting the sheep for their own benefit. They destroyed life by heaping on heavy, legalistic burdens of law-keeping on the people. You gotta tithe mint and cumin. They themselves aren't even upholding the law. And they lead the sheep ultimately to their death because moral goodness in the end always will lead to death if it's apart from Jesus. Don't you see Jesus is saying? There's one path to abundant life. It's me. All the other paths will lead to death. They'll steal from you. Don't believe it for a minute. Let, let me illustrate further. And, and this is true for us today. It was true in the first century. It's true today. We have alternative paths that claim to lead to the abundant life, don't we? There are religious paths to get there and irreligious paths. Let's look at religious paths. Today, I grew up in a land of moralism. I, I remember this in my childhood. I remember peers that actually, their functional belief in life was that if I just do enough good things to outweigh my drunken stupor in the weekends and my really poor choices, it'll work out. Judgment just needs to lean slightly towards good. That's moralism. And here's why that path, it, that religious path that promises abundant life will only end in destruction. Here's the thing, either you'll try to live a moral life and either you'll fail and you will be miserable day after day after day because you'll never be enough. I'm just trying so hard to be a good person but I had that evil thought and I realized that evil thought led to another evil thought and I'm just a messed up every day. You're not enough. That's not an abundant life. Or worse, in your religious path to an abundant life, this is far worse you might succeed, at least on the outside. 
You're not good to your core, but at least you have a front of moralism. If you succeed in being moral, you will be a spiritually prideful, arrogant person who will look down your nose at everyone else who's not as moral as you are. It's not abundant. And then here's why that steals your joy and will ultimately lead to your demise. Because one day you'll stand before, as, as moral good as you are, one day you'll stand before somebody and his brilliant, white, hot goodness will make your moral record look like filthy rags. Moralism, religious path to abundant life. You fail, you're not enough, you succeed, you're spiritually prideful, this is not abundant life. And Jesus was saying, that's not the way. That's not the way. Pharisees aren't offering it. But today, look, we've got lots of other ways to abundant life. We see these t-shirts around in Colorado all the time. They have the goofy like little character. And he says, the good life, the good life. And he's always like fishing or hiking or something. That's the good life, isn't it? There are irreligious paths to the good life, the abundant life. And there's tons of them. I'll give you a few. Have you been tempted to wander down the irreligious path to the good life called materialism? Did you feel it on Black Friday? Did you feel your heart start racing when you thought, it's 97% off, <laughs> but it's actually priced exactly what it's worth. I just think it's a great deal. <laughs> Materialism, it promises the good life, doesn't it? Does it feel abundant? The more stuff you have? It's a false path. It's an irreligious path. How about comfort? That's a path. Every commercial you see is telling you to be comfortable. Here's one that I see. The, the path to the good life is retirement. Work hard for 40 years. Have a miserable life for 40 years. Just work really hard. Put away all that money so that finally, one day, you can retire and taste the good life as long as you don't have a heart attack one year into retirement. What a waste. Is that it? Is this the abundant life? This is the American dream for some people. Retirement. Don't you see? There are some paths that are promising the good life. Vocational success, fame, respect, the corner office, all of these promise life. And in the end, they steal your joy. They destroy your true purpose for which you were created and ultimately lead to death. That's a thief that has come to steal, kill, and destroy. Our problem is not simply that there are alternative paths. That would be bad enough, as if all paths were equal. Your devastating problem and mine too, is that because of sin in us, you're inclined to choose the wrong paths. You like them. That's the real problem. That's the frightfully hideous danger. One pastor in a small town in Minnesota, Pastor David Vanneker, whoever he is, <laughs> explains the leaders of the day 
were peddling the world's ways that promised joy and in the end delivered death. And the only reason there's a market for them at all to sell is because our sinful hearts desire it. We're buying what the world's selling and we're inclined to do it because of sin. This problem began way back at the beginning of the story, the story of reality, of existence. God, the author of life, wrote humanity into existence. Adam and Eve experienced the abundant life. No death, no cancer, no 9% inflation environment. Just knowing God and enjoying him. Perfect communion, sheep with their shepherd. And then the original thief came along and he offered an alternative path to abundant life. Hey Eve, hey Eve, I know God's promised this amazing life for you, but have you considered autonomy? Have you thought of taking hold, being your own God? Try it, just try it. And into the story of reality came brokenness, the fall, and sin. And this world that was designed for abundance, abundant life, flourishing life, was tainted forever. It's the reason there's hurricanes and winter, I'm convinced, and mosquitoes. I don't think mosquitoes existed. I don't have a proof text for that, but. But not just that stuff out there, it's the reason in here doesn't work. I'm a sinner, my heart's corrupt. I have evil desires. It's the reason why you live in the promise that Jesus has, abundant life but it's an already, but not yet promise. Don't you see? It's already. Jesus is offering in part the abundant life now, but because of sin, it will always and only be in part. One day, it will be complete, now in part. One day, unhindered communion with God. No evil desires, no struggle, no sin, no calamity, no fall, just abundance. That's why, okay, we couldn't turn to our neighbor and say, of course, the abundant life. It's because you, you live in a broken world with a broken soul. In part, but not in whole. This is our problem. How would you describe your life at Christmas time in one word? At best, if you said anything good, abundant, grateful, it's only in part, and it's tainted by sin in the fall, isn't it? Have you wandered down any of those alternative paths this Christmas? Are you searching for life, even abundant life, in anything other than one door, Jesus. Okay, this is what the abundant life is. This is why we don't have it completely, but how can we have it? And briefly, I'll show you how. You need three things. You need a door, 
You need a shepherd and you need a lamb. And all of them are here in this text. Verse nine, Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, exclusively me, you'll be saved. You wanna have this abundant life? Look, Jesus is saying in John 10, exactly what he's gonna say in a different way in John 14, six. It's the same thing. I'm a door, or he can say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. One path, one door, one opening, me. So you wanna have this abundant life? First, you need a door. You gotta come through it and find it in Jesus. But that's not enough. He's not just the path. He's also the good shepherd. He says this in verse 11. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Why is he so good? Well, he lays down his life. And these other leaders, as soon as the wolves come, they're the hired hand, they're gonna scatter. They care about their own skin more than they do the sheep. That's admirable. Jesus lays down his sheep. You know, if that's all that he does to be good, technically, I as an under-shepherd, if I had a really heroic moment, I could also be good. I could run through those doors and try and take a bullet for you this morning, and I would die. And you'd all applaud, and a few people would come to my funeral, and then I would just be dead. And you'd be without a shepherd until you rehired somebody. The reason Jesus is so good as a shepherd is not just that he lays down his life for the sheep. He is a uniquely good shepherd because he didn't die and then the sheep are scattered without a shepherd. No, 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 this shepherd died and had the authority to come back. That makes him different. And that's why the Pharisees are so confused and angry. Who says this? I can't say this. Jesus says these words. Look what he says in verse 17. I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me. I lay it down on my own accord. Listen to this. Who can say this? I have authority to lay down my life. So do I. I can take a bullet. But here's what I don't have. Jesus says I have authority to take it up again. This is Christmas. The author of life wrote himself into the story. He was born not just to die, but to live again. This is Christmas. This is the glory of Christmas. He dies in our place, victory over death, curse overcome, and he rises from the grave. This is how you can have it. You need a door, a good shepherd, and the sacrificial lamb who rose again. Christmas time can be a season for reflection. It's the end of the year. You might have a chance to think about your life as New Year's rolls around. I want to invite you to something. If you could join Ebenezer Scrooge on his exercise, I want you to try it. Instead of a ghost coming to help you visit Christmas past, present, and yet to come, invite Jesus along. Ask him to take you on a journey of reflection.
and consider your life with that kind of perspective, your past, your present today, and your future. How do you want to describe your life and invite Jesus to let it be abundant? Three applications, three couple people I'm speaking to. One, if you've never received this abundant life, you've never even tasted it, I invite you today to walk through that door, to trust a good shepherd, and to praise him for being your sacrificial lamb. You can receive him today through faith and repentance. And if you have this Christmas season, two things might happen. You might consider your life as you explore your past, present, and future, and you might see how your life is lacking abundance. That's all you see. It's just not abundant. It's a hard Christmas. Any ways that you see that you lack abundance, I want you to acknowledge it. Point it rightly at the fall and its sin, and then allow it to fuel your longing for the day when you can experience un hindered abundance in Christ. Let it fuel that longing. This world is not our home. And lastly, maybe you'll reflect on your life and you'll create a list of a few things that feel like abundance. You will taste the good this Christmas as well. And instead of choosing those as the answer to life, let those good things well up into praise and gratitude to the giver of that good and say, God, thank you for letting me taste a bit of the abundant life, in part now. Let it fuel my longing for the day when abundance is whole. Christmas time, one word, abundant. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And we, we wanna marvel today at a reason that you came at Christmas time in order that we might maximize our joy in you this Christmas. And so Lord, right now we, we get an hour to redirect our hearts on this Sunday morning to the, to the purpose for Christmas. Reorient us, Lord. We, we confess, Lord, in any ways that we have been wildly distracted or maybe wandering down a different path, Lord. We confess it to you. Forgive us and help now reorient our hearts with this last week's sprint towards Christmas to rejoice in the life that you came to give us, Lord. Father, help us for, for many today, Lord, uh, that may be grieving a loss of some kind, Lord, a way that their life is lacking that abundance, Lord. Spur it in us to long for you even more. And Lord, in any ways that you've been gracious and kind to us, Lord, help us go vertical and thank you in prayer for all that you've done. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. That concludes LifePoint Church's podcast. For more information about our church, visit sharethelife.org.